You're listening to the Mess and Mercy podcast with Katie Sanders, where you'll be inspired to grow in your walk with Jesus and live out your God-purposed life by faith and obedience. Now, here's your host, Katie Sanders. Hey, everybody, it's Katie. I know it's later in the week than it usually is. I um, have been trying to piece this message together, and I've just kind of been waiting on the Lord. But He brought this question to me. It had to have been three or more weeks or so. What if the Bible were real? And I keep thinking about this over and over and over. And when I'm faced with something that I don't really understand or... I feel like it's just not a feasible answer to prayer. It's just not possible anymore. I have tried to go back to that question and ask, what if the Bible were real? And of course it's real. But do we really apply that anymore? Um, Of course, the people were here. Of course, God gave a woman a child in her 90s. Of course, he spoke to a man about building a boat for a flood when he had never seen rain. Of course, he saved three men from a fiery furnace. Of course, he shut the mouth of that line. Of course, he healed the blind man, made a lot from a little, died and rose again. Of course, he did, but we don't live like that. I don't live like that. And so I've started to try to challenge myself to an Old Testament text And I've challenged myself to a deeper faith and tried to look at things with a bigger understanding, one that basically acknowledges that I don't understand and I will not ever always understand. And so I was on the elliptical early this week, and um, I think it was literally the only day I exercised all week long, but I had the Bible app open, and I've been studying in Matthew, and uh just one little scripture was read through the app and I just, I had to stop. I had to just really let that soak in. Um, And the passage read, but Jesus replied, only an evil adulterous generation would demand a miraculous sign, but the only sign I will give them is the sign of the prophet Jonah. And like I said, I just had to I had to pause right there where I was in in my reading. Only an evil, adulterous generation would demand a miraculous sign. And this isn't the scripture that we're going to talk about today, but I really do want to visit that and really think about what this says. You know, we are so guilty of checking a box when we read scripture and then we get upset when with God because he hadn't answered our prayers, but have we really seeked him in his word? You know, it's like you sit on an exercise bike and we know that that's not going to yield results. If you spend 30 minutes on that bike but never touch a pedal, what's that going to do for you? It's not going to do anything. It's not going to do nothing for me anyway. I've tried it, trust me. But if you spend 30 minutes in the Word, but you don't allow your heart to reach out and touch it, what is that going to do for you? 
Nothing. This scripture says only, only an evil and adulterous people, meaning only a bad, only a corrupt, a wrong, an unholy, ungodly, immoral person, an unfaithful, unreliable, disloyal, faithless, inconsistent person would ask me for a sign, but the only sign I give is Jonah. And I asked God after that, I said, God, show me what else. Show me what else. And he said, Gideon. And I have not read in Judges in a really long time. I remember Gideon being one of my um, favorite Old Testament stories because I am such a Gideon myself. So this was um, very convicting for me. But I went back to Judges, and it's in chapter 6 and 7. And that's going to be the text that we go over today. Let me get there in my Bible. Um, so Gideon, this is in a time where um, the Israelites were oppressed by the Mennonites, and they cried out to the Lord for help. And so the God, Jesus sends this prophet um, and says that they're, you know, he brought them out of slavery. He rescued them from the Egyptians and they, he had delivered them from the hand of all their oppressors and gave them the land, but they still didn't listen to God. And so he's kind of saying, this is why you are here right now. And we're going to pick up in chapter six, verse 13. And this is when uh, Lord had the an angel of the Lord had appeared to Gideon, and it says, "Pardon me, my Lord." Gideon replied, "But if the Lord is with us, why has all of this happened to us? Where are all of His wonders that our ancestors told us about when they said, "Did the Lord not bring us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and given us in the hand of Madan." And the Lord turned to him and said, Go in the strength that you have and save Israel out of Madan's hands. Am I not sending you? Pardon me, my Lord, Gideon replied, but how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in the family. And the Lord answered, I will be with you, and I will strike down all the Midianites, leaving none alive. And Gideon replied, if now I have found favor in your eyes, give me a sign that is really, it is really you talking to me. Please do not go away until I come back and bring my offering and set it before you. And the Lord said, I will wait until you return. Gideon went inside, prepared a young goat from a fire and flour and made bread and yeast, putting the meat in the basket and its broth in a pot. And he brought them out and offered them to him under the oak and the angel of God said to him take the meat and the unleavened bread place them on the rock and pour out the broth and Gideon did so then the angel of the Lord touched the meat and the unleavened bread with the tip of the staff that was in his hand fire flared from the rock consuming the meat and the bread and the angel of the Lord disappeared when Gideon realized that the angel of the Lord he exclaimed he exclaimed alas sovereign Lord I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face but Lord said to him, Peace, do not be afraid, you are not going to die. So Gideon built an altar to the Lord there and called it, The Lord is Peace. This day it still stands in Ephra. 
so <clears throat> he asked God for confirmation and God said, yes, I will wait on you. Yes, I will have patience with you. And he accepted his offer and gave him a sense of peace. But if you read on in that chapter, um, God says, now go out and take a second bull and I want you to tear down the altar um, that your father's built and I want you to um, I want you to offer a second bur bur burnt offering there. And Gideon did it. Him and ten of his servants went and did it, but he did it at night because he was afraid to do it in the daytime because, daytime because of the townspeople. And so when they wake up and see that the altar has been torn down, um, his dad comes to his rescue and is like, look, um, my son did it, but if Baal is really the God, he'll deal with him. So let's not worry about it. And the people were like, fine, we'll let the God handle it. But um, in that chapter, it says, Gideon said to God, if you'll save my, if you'll save Israel by my hands, as you've promised, look, I'm going to place a wool fleece under the threshing floor. And if there's dew on the fleece and all the ground is dry, then I will know that you are going to save Israel by my hand. And this is what's happened. Gideon rose early the next day and he squeezed the, the fleece and wrung out dew, a bowl full of water. So God had more patience and more confirmation. And then Gideon said again, wait, 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 God, don't be mad at me, but let me make just one more request. Allow me one more test with the fleece, but this time make the fleece dry and let the ground be covered with dew. And that night God did so. And the fleece was dry and all the ground was covered with dew. And he gave him more confirmation. So you move on to chapter 7. <laughs> and this is where he is preparing to go up and fight this people. And he has got 32,000 soldiers. And God tells him, you've got too many men. I cannot deliver Medan into their hands or Israel will boast against me saying my own strength has done has done this so tell all those people that whoever um is scared to just go on and leave and 22,000 men left and only 10,000 men stayed and God told Gideon that's still too many and so he had him go out and drink and gave him these specific instructions whoever drinks just like this those are your people have everybody else leave. And that left Gideon with 300 men. Out of 32,000, he sent all of those away except for the 300. And of course, Gideon was still scared after that. After all the signs that God had already given him confirmation of, at the things that he had protected him from leading up to this point, he was still scared. Now, do I understand that? Of, of course I do. But what else does this tell you if you think about it? 
you know, you can ask and ask and ask and receive sign after sign after sign. And if it doesn't make sense to you or it still feels bigger than you or if you were terrified in the first place, it's probably not going to matter what Jesus lights up in the sky for you. What is going to matter is, do you trust him? Do you trust God as Lord? What if the Bible were real? And I want to read you this one verse out of Matthew chapter 13. It's at the end. And it says, But Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor except in his own town and in his own home. And he did not do many miracles there because of their lack of faith. That is talking about Jesus in Nazareth. All of these people basically thought, well, who does this guy think he is? Isn't this Jesus? Isn't he just a carpenter? Isn't he from Nazareth? And they had no real belief in what he was doing and the miracles that he were he was performing. And because of their lack of faith, because of their lack of belief, God was not able to perform many miracles through Jesus at that place. What if the Bible were real? We ask for big miracles, but we don't expect them. And we ask for answers, but we feel like they never come. And we want healing, but we only want healing the way that we anticipate it. But what if the Bible were real? What if God really is good, only good? What if he is only capable of bringing us good things, never capable of bringing us harm? What if the Bible were real? That would mean that you and I are the problem, not God. When we only expect God to perform in the ways that we want, or we only the only answer to our prayers in the way that we ask him and only heal in the ways that we feel are appropriate, we limit God. That attitude and that, and that approach proves that we do not believe that God is good, that he knows everything, that he knows best, better than we do. When we approach with that attitude, that reveals less about God and more about ourselves. And since we know that God is only capable of good things, since we know that the Bible is real, since we know that God knows everything and that God knows best, how do we correct this problem in ourselves? We've got to trust that God is Lord. God understood Gideon's fear in chapter 7. He understood why 32,000 men felt much more secure than 300. And he allowed Gideon to go and hear a conversation with the Midianites and understand that there actually was victory in what God was asking him to do. But God is not always going to confirm our fears. Sometimes, most times, God is going to expect you to trust him because that is what our call is as Christians is to believe and to trust and to submit 
fully and only fully to the will of God. We want to make salvation a compromise where we listen to the good things and we expect the good things, but we don't accept the bad. God calls us to trust him. What if the Bible were real? He understood Gideon's fear, but he did not excuse Gideon for the mission that he had for him. He expected from Gideon despite his fear. And we can be confident in what God has for us if we can be confident in who he is. But that requires knowledge of him on a different level. And the only way to access that knowledge and to access that wisdom in Christ is spending more time with him, not around him. Y'all, I get message after message about people and their relationships and wanting to know God more. And they are just hungry for God. People that I know, that I care about, that I love, that want to get their relationships right, but aren't able to be hungry for His Word. And they are one in the same. You cannot approach the Bible with an attitude of, let's just get this done. And I am not immune to this. This is something that I have had to be so intentional with, especially this time of year when everything's busy. I'm t- we had eight kids at our house most every day for the last week. And yesterday, I got in bed at 5 o'clock. I was exhausted. I am not 16 anymore. I cannot go all day. We have played and cooked and ate and played and cooked and ate. And I am worn slap out from this last week. And there were times when I did not put hands on my Bible until almost midnight. And if you know anything about me, that is about six hours after my bedtime. I had to be intentional when I reached out and touched the Word of God because it was so easy for me to just get it done. But God is not a box that we check. What if the Bible were real? What if God really did know your every thought? What if He knew how tired you were when you reached for that Bible that afternoon and didn't really want to, but you knew you had to get it done. What if he knew that? Because he does. Doesn't that affect what he returns to us? God wants commitment in our hearts, and he wants belief and trust, and we don't believe in the big things anymore because we don't remember them. The more you spend in God's Word, the more that you have access to His character, to His faithfulness, to His promises, the more apt you are to believe and trust that He is good in anything, even when you feel like you have nothing, but you have got to change your approach. God knows your every thought. And I want you to really pay attention here because this is where I got it wrong for so long. 
you can pray and pray and pray into the core of you. It be a desperate, heartfelt prayer. But God knows that you are, he knows the intention behind your your praying. And even if you want that prayer answered with everything that you have inside you, if it is selfish, if it is only to make your life easier or better or complete, God knows that. God wants us to align ourselves with Him and His will. You cannot just read Scripture You can't, just like you can't just go to church. You have to be the church. Walk in the faith every day, not just on Sunday. Sitting in a church pew will not save your soul. Reading your Bible will not just bring you closer to God. You can't just read it. You have to receive it. You have to make your heart physically reach out of your chest and touch the pages of that scripture. If you want God to make a difference in your life, you have got to study him, accept him, and listen to the way that he has called you to live, not just a little, but every day. What if the Bible were real? God understands your fear. He understands your hesitation. He has even made atonement for your sin. What he cannot tolerate is your lack of faith, is your lack of trust, is your lack of belief. There is an answer for everything else. But God makes no room for that. How do you correct that? You spend time with God. You put Him first. I go days without seeing my husband. And sometimes we are just passing each other in, in the closet in, during a game of hide-and-go-seek, and we don't get to see each other until 11 o'clock that night when we put all of these babies to bed, and I miss him so much. I enjoy every second of time he and I get together. Sometimes it feels like we just we can't get enough time together. I truly enjoy just time with him, but he does not come before God. I do not come before God. You have got to spend time in the Word, in prayer, or everything else that you are doing with your kids. Every trip to the ball field, every trip to a vacation Bible school, or to church, or anything else that you do with your kids, anything else you do for them, like get up and go to work in the morning. Anything that you do that you prioritize before your relationship with God is a disservice to you and a disservice to your family. Get in the Word. Get in church. 
and put God first. I don't care how busy you are or how tired you are. If you want a difference made in your life, you have got to accept what is different and work towards that. If you read the rest of chapter 7 in Judges, the Lord made victory with those 300 men. I'm sure it would have been a lot easier with 32,000 if we look at things from the perspective that only you and I can see things. But what I'm learning is God has a completely different view of things. He can see a full picture when only we can see what is right in front of them. And if you look at chapter 22, it says, When the 300 trumpets sounded, the Lord caused the men throughout the camp to turn on each other with their swords, and the army fled. God has provision for everything. God is not limited by nothing. God is good. He is incapable of anything bad. But do you believe that? As easy as it is to be said, I know that God is good. What does your heart say when you are hurting? or when you got that diagnosis, or when your marriage fell apart, or when your child was injured. What can your heart say then? It has to be personal, because it is. What if the Bible were real? Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your word, God. Excuse us when we ask you for things only our way. Thank you for being an understanding God that notices our fear, God, but thank you for not accepting it, for pushing us and demanding us and calling us to more. Father, I pray that every person that has listened to your word through this today, God, will receive what it means to seek you and not just your answers or your provision, God, or your miracles, but to truly seek you, God. I pray that you would help us to get into our Bibles, God, and decipher your word, Lord, and to write it on our hearts and live it in our lives, God, and just seeds will be planted just in the way that we live, God, because this is your world and your kingdom, and our hearts were created for you and you alone, God. Thank you for who you are, God. Amen. If you were encouraged by today's message, hit subscribe and meet us here again. Or head on over to Katie's website, messandmercy.com, to find more encouragement like free devotionals, Bible studies, and the blog. Thank you for tuning in to the Mess and Mercy podcast.
We hope to see you again.